Good morning, everyone. Glad to be together again on this. Man, can't beat these nice sunny days in Palos Verdes, right? So good. Uh, we want to let you know, because uh, you might be wondering kind of what the plan is uh, with that wonderful building we have there and uh, moving inside. Right now, we've got that live stream option in there. Um, but just to let you know just how we're moving forward is just for the foreseeable future, we're going to continue to gather here outdoors. Unless it's wet and raining, then we'll go inside. Uh, we'll still have services on Sundays if it's raining, uh, and we'll meet in the gym. And so um, that's the plan moving forward. But today, we've got this gorgeous day, and we've got the Word of God in front of us. So open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. You know that each week, we're going to open up the Bible to behold the person the work of Jesus. We do that every week together. And the reason why is because in the Word of God, we want to discover who Jesus is and how we're supposed to live for Him. And so that's what we're doing. We're four months into our new church plant here, and I hope that you're getting well connected. Just as Ben Kai said, we want to see you using your gifts here, and so don't hesitate in that. So starting off this morning, I want to give a statement, and I want to ask you guys if you think it sounds true, okay? Here's the statement. You ready? That newness can quickly fade into familiarity. Newness can quickly fade into familiarity. Now, maybe you got that Christmas present this year that you really wanted. Uh, I know for our family, my wife wanted a weighted blanket. And so I bought her this 20-pound blanket. We were really excited about it. Uh, we even opened it up before Christmas because we really wanted to try this thing. So Basically, what a weighted blanket is, is it either feels like you're being cuddled all over or you're being suffocated, just kind of depending on your vibe, if you like it or not. And I, I honestly don't know if I love it or hate it yet. But what I do know is that this blanket that we got has just kind of become another blanket in our house, right? Newness fades into familiarity. Now, maybe you started 2021, new year, new you. And you started that diet plan and that exercise plan, and you're changing some lifestyle things. But, you know, it's January 10th, and now it just kind of feels like another day. And you really want some In-N-Out burger after lunch. I know that feeling, how newness can fade into familiarity. And, and maybe you've heard this statement before, that familiarity breeds contempt. Who's ever heard that? Heard that one. Now today in Mark chapter 6, we're going to look at the danger of being too familiar with Jesus. Now, I think you're going to understand what I mean as we get into our text this morning. So starting at Mark chapter 6, verse 1, let me just pray and then we'll read that verse. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, that you are living and you are active and your word is living and your word is active. And we got, God, we ask that our hearts would be open and revealed for you to speak right into it. And that with our lives, we would live for you. God, I ask that you would uh, anoint my lips now to speak and declare your truth and nothing else. And Lord, we bless your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, now we read, He went away from there and came to his hometown... And his disciples followed him. So Jesus has been making his way around the various regions. 
He had just been in Galilee after crossing back over from the Gerasenes. And we know that the last three miracles of Jesus have been pretty notable. Uh, he has cast a legion of demons out of a man, showing that he has authority over Satan and demons. He healed a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years, showing that Jesus has authority over sickness. Jesus also raised a 12-year-old girl from the dead, showing that he even has authority over death. So just recently, we've seen that demons, sickness, and death are subject to the power and the authority of Jesus. Amen? Amen. That is what we've been seeing. Now, Jesus is going to now make his way toward Nazareth to continue to bring the kingdom of God to earth. And the next place that he wants to go is his hometown, Nazareth. Now, we know that Jesus was from Nazareth because, well, we read it in the Bible, but we often call him Jesus of Nazareth. But had Jesus not grown up in the city of Nazareth, I don't think we would know of that city. You know, this isn't a city that you would really write home about. This isn't a place where, you know, you'd go on vacation in Nazareth and you'd be sending postcard home. Look at I'm in Nazareth. Or for the younger people, you know, you're in Nazareth at a sipping your latte, looking at some street art, and you're tagging your location. Look, I'm in Nazareth. It, wa it wasn't a place that you wanted to be, right? It was a place where if you guys know, you know, and in, in, in we, we talk about armpit cities. You ever heard of that? I, I have my own idea of what the armpit city of California is, and maybe you have your own idea. But basically, for Israel, Nazareth was like the armpit city. You just didn't want to go there. But Jesus wanted to go there. And I think of when Nathaniel, one of the, the disciples of Jesus, said about Jesus, when he heard where he came from, said, wait, hold on. Jesus is from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? So you can imagine Jesus now taking his disciples along to this hometown, and maybe the disciples are grumbling, oh, Jesus, do we have to go there? But Jesus wanted to go there. He wanted to go to the place where he had grown up, and he wanted to preach the gospel there. And so continuing on now in verses 2 and, th two and 3, we read, and on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And so when Jesus arrived in Nazareth, he, would, he did what he was accustomed to do when he entered into a new city. He went to the synagogue. Now, the synagogue and the church are not exactly similar, but for the sake of a good point, let's just think about how interesting it is that Jesus was accustomed to going to the synagogue. Jesus was a churchgoer, if you will. He went to church on well, in those days, Saturday, but Jesus obviously took the kingdom wherever he went. He preached on hillsides, from boats, wherever he was, he brought the kingdom with him, but he went to the synagogue. 
And Christians, similarly, should have a practice of regularly going to church, just as Jesus would regularly go to synagogues. And so the disciples in Jesus are there in Nazareth, and they show up at the synagogue, and perhaps the ruler of the synagogue asked if Jesus would give an exhortation to the congregation, that he would teach the people. And so Jesus taught, and he would have taught from the word of God. He would have opened up the scroll of the Torah and taught right from it, giving both the interpretation of it and the application of it to the people. And what was the reaction of the people as Jesus did that? Think about it for a moment. I mean, think about what your reaction might be if Jesus were to show up here on a Sunday and teach us. What would our reaction to God the Son teaching his own book? For them, they were astonished, and I think we would be as well. I think that's an appropriate reaction for hearing the Son of God teach his own book. And so the people hearing Jesus in the synagogue asked five questions in response to this teaching, five questions that we see them ask. And it'll tell us a little bit more about the response that these people had. So let's look again at the five questions in your Bible. It says, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? And is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So we're going to look at each one of these questions. I think we're going to be able to answer those questions. So the first one, keeping in mind that they're astonished, their jaws are dropped, seeing Jesus. Because listen, this, this is the guy that they had known their entire lives. Jesus lived in Nazareth for approximately 30 years before he moved away to begin his public ministry. And so in Nazareth, historians think that there was no more than maybe 500 people living in that city. So this was a small town where everybody knew each other. So the whole town would have known who Jesus was. And now they are astonished because this, the Jesus that they're now seeing Preaching in the synagogue is somewhat different from all that they'd ever known about Jesus for the prior 30 years. And so these are their questions. Where did this man get these things? They were astonished at Jesus' ability to both understand and apply the word of God. What is the wisdom given to him? They were astonished at his ability not only to understand, but to bring it right home to the people, to you know, as it were, hit the nail on the head for what these people needed to hear. We read the next question that says, how are such mighty works done by his hands? And they were astonished by Jesus' ability to perform miracles. Now, maybe they had seen miracles done among them. We're going to see in a bit that there weren't many that were done. Or maybe they just heard from all the various places and regions that Jesus had been and all the miracles that he'd been performing. Maybe they caught wind of, you know, Jairus's daughter being raised from the dead. And they're like, wow, where does he get this ability? And then the fourth and fifth question is about his family. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? See, they were astonished to see that such teaching and miracles were being done by the homegrown boy that they'd always known. 
But, but here, this last question is actually going to lead us to realize that their questioning was actually leading toward their disdain of him. See, before Jesus began his ministry, which happened and I guess started, you could say, at his baptism in the Jordan River with John as the Spirit of God descended upon him and he went into the wilderness, that was the start. But everything prior to that, Jesus lived in pretty relative obscurity, living in Nazareth. We know that he was a carpenter. He was a builder, some, some sort of craftsman where he would maybe... I don't know, build furniture or install cabinets or lay tile. Uh, Jesus just worked with his hands for his family business. And they're referring to his family. They're like, wait, isn't this the carpenter? And then they said, isn't this the son of Mary? Now, this is what clues us in toward their disdain of him. In that day and in that culture, you would never refer to somebody uh, by the son of their mother, but the, rather the son of their father. Now, some people will say, well, the reason why is because at this time, Joseph would have already been deceased, that he had passed away by this time, and so they're just referring to him as the son of Mary. But, but again, in that culture, even if the father had died, you would still refer to the person by the father's name, never by the mother's name in that culture. See, this is cluing us into what's going on here. These questions that they're asking grew out of their astonishment, but it was not leading them toward an acceptance of Jesus, but rather a disdain toward Jesus. See, did you see at the end of these questions how it says, and they took offense at him? I mean, it says it right there. They took offense at him. They were saying, isn't this the son of that fornicator Mary? We remember how she was pregnant before she ever married Joseph. Yeah, this is Jesus, the son of Joseph. We know his brothers, James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. His sisters are all here. What's this whole thing about him being the son of God? And you remember how Jesus' family even came to him at the end of Mark chapter 3 as he was doing all the miracles, as he was doing all these teachings, and they said that he was out of his mind, and they tried to bring him home for something like an intervention. We also think about his brothers. Now, Jesus did actually have brothers and sisters. They were, of course, half-brothers and sisters because they had different fathers, you know. Um, but these brothers that are mentioned, we see some of them that are included is James, who later wrote the book of James in our New Testament. And then his brother uh, Judas, who later wrote the book of Jude. But remember that these brothers, who later called themselves bondservants of Jesus Christ, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection. During his lifetime and during his ministry upon the earth, his own biological family rejected him as the Messiah of Israel, their Redeemer. And so they took offense at him. The word offense is the word scandalizo, and it's where we get the word scandalous. See, Jesus came and he was preaching the kingdom of God in Nazareth to his family and to his friends and to the community that he grew up with. And in the way that he taught and, and with the power which with he did these things, they were offended by him. 
You know, and what's this whole entourage of like 12 guys with him? Who does Jesus think he is? Well, the reason for all of this, which is the whole point, is that I believe that they had in their minds already known everything about Jesus, or at least so they thought. They thought that they had Jesus figured out. And the fact that Jesus was now different from what they'd always known about Jesus, this is what offended them. This is what became the scandal that tripped them up. Jesus knew that they weren't accepting him, and he understood that their familiarity with him was causing unbelief. And this, my friends, is the danger that we want to avoid. You know, has Jesus become familiar to you? Where you think that you have Jesus all figured out. Don't get me wrong, we want to know Jesus and be known. We want to have a certain kind of familiarity with Jesus. And mature disciples of Jesus should know the things of God. But if your familiarity with him has led you toward unbelief, if your familiarity with him says to you, you know, you're, you're good with where you're at. I know Jesus. I have enough of Jesus. Jesus fits real nicely right here in my life. Well, something might be off. I think the way that you'll know if something is wrong, if you have this certain kind of familiarity with Jesus, is that if his word challenges you to do something or believe something that is contrary to what you always thought was right and you're not willing to examine the word of god you're not willing to uh, be convicted by the spirit and be led in repentance to say you know what I, I i miss this thing about jesus but rather in our familiarity we we try to think I know the Bible, I got Jesus all figured out. And then what happens is if we ever get convicted about something, we just schluff it off. Because we think we know everything about Jesus. And so what was Jesus' response to all of this? In verse 4 we read, And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. See, because they took offense at jesus they remained in this place of unbelief and jesus then seeing their unbelief quotes to them a proverb of that day basically to the effect of saying this like everywhere i go all the regions that i've been i am accepted for the things that i say and do people are coming to me but when i come to my own people to my own hometown and i'm saying and doing the things of the kingdom of god i am not accepted I am rejected by my own people. Jesus was rejected by his hometown and even by his own biological family because, again, they thought that they had Jesus all figured out. They knew so much of his past 30 years that they weren't able to reconcile that with the last two years of his ministry. They rejected their Messiah because they were scandalized by his claims. Wait. This is the Son of God? This is the Messiah, the Redeemer of Israel? The Messiah is a carpenter from Israel? It'd be like saying the, the Messiah is a plumber from Bakersfield? What? I mean, that's kind of it's kind of like what you're saying. Now listen here. Here's the principle that I've found to be true time and time again. 
And listen to this. I think this might bring some comfort to some people, which is that ministering to those who are closest to you, who have a certain familiarity with you, can be the hardest people to minister to. I was just talking to a friend this last week about how difficult it was for him to spend Christmas with his family because they knew him for all those years before he was a Christian, but now that he is a Christian, it's hard to break through to them because of all that history and familiarity that they have with him. Can anyone testify to this? Amen? See, can I tell you Jesus understands that? He knows that full well that it is a real issue, that it is difficult to minister in your own hometown. It's difficult to minister to your own family. He gets that completely. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to minister to them, to our family and to our longtime friends, but take comfort and confidence knowing that it might be difficult and that Jesus understands that. Now look at verse 5. It says, He could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Now this verse is really sobering because there is, what it's telling us is that there's a direct correlation between faith and the working of God. The measure of faith that we have will be met with with the measure that God works in us or through us with his activity. Now, some have done damage by misapplying this verse. Let me tell you how. Some people have said, well, if you don't get healed, say you're sick and somebody prays for you. If you don't get healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. And I've known people to have great faith for healing, and yet God in his sovereignty did not heal And I would never dare blame those people for their lack of faith as the reason for why they were not healed. See, when it says that he could do no mighty work there, it doesn't mean that Jesus could could not do any of his work. Certainly, Jesus could have healed a ton of people had he wanted to. It's his power. It's his authority. He's in control of it. But because of their unbelief, he wouldn't heal or at least not that much. He didn't want to do mighty works for people who were rejecting him. He would not, as he'll say later, cast pearls before swine. So he would shake the dust off of his feet toward them. But can we agree on something real fast? Can we agree about the fact that perhaps the reason for why Christians or many churches today don't experience mighty works of God, or at least maybe they only only experience a few. I I think there's two reasons. One might be because they're not worshiping and serving the real Jesus. And two, that because of familiarity and unbelief, people aren't coming to God with expectant faith for him to actually do anything. Don't you think that if we're worshiping and serving the real Jesus, as seen in the Gospels, that we would experience mighty works done by his hands? Don't you believe that if we come with expectant faith to the real Jesus, that he is going to meet that faith with abundant activity of his mighty work? Don't you believe that? That if you're coming 
to the real Jesus. But, but, but what's going on is that a lot of times people come to Jesus with familiarity or they've come to Jesus uh, of their own making. And because in those familiarity places or that places of I'm just going to make Jesus what I want him to be, we come to him as unbelieving people and, and maybe we'll only see a few sick people healed. Maybe we won't see very mighty works done by God. See, again, if we think we have Jesus all figured out, and if we become scandalized by an all-powerful, authoritative Jesus who casts out demons, who heals the sick, and who raises the dead, then perhaps we might want to go back to the word of God, examine it, and repent, and seek to know the real Jesus as he has showed himself to be in the word of God. Because when I look at my Bible, you guys, I see a Jesus who does mighty works for those who have faith and who will do mighty works through those people who have faith. See, Jesus saw these people and he marveled at their unbelief. Jesus only marvels twice in the Gospels. Both times are because of faith. Here it's for the lack of faith in Nazareth because they were the people who should have been the most likely people to believe. These people grew up with Jesus. They'd spent their whole lives with Jesus. They should have had faith in him. The other time was when Jesus saw faith in an unlikely person to believe. And this was the Gentile centurion who came to Jesus to heal his servant, but his servant wasn't with him. And Jesus is like, I'll go with you and heal your servant. He's like, no, no, you just speak the word and my servant will be well. And it says that Jesus marveled at the faith of this Gentile. And he even said, I haven't even seen faith like this in all of Israel. So both times Jesus marvels at faith either for great faith or the lack thereof so don't forget don't forget that without faith it is impossible to please god we cannot come to god by any other terms other than faith so how should we grow in faith i'll tell you one of the primary ways for you to grow in faith take this book the holy spirit maybe a pencil and a piece of paper and sit with it. Read it and let it, and examine it, and let it examine you. And then go live it. Go do it. And if you do that, faith will increase. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith will also increase as you take active steps of faith. It's har hard to have faith if you're never activating it. It's like if you're never activating a muscle. If you're never exercising that muscle, it's just going to deplete. In the same way, we need to exercise our faith in order for it to increase. We can't just be hearers of the word, but we have to be doers of the word. And let me say this too, is that we will never outgrow our need for the gospel. The moment that you think that you have Jesus all figured out, the moment you think that you've got enough of God's grace, that you're good with where you're at, is the moment that you turn to familiarity, and then familiarity leads to unbelief. You will never outgrow your need for the gospel. So get enthralled with Jesus again. Get enthralled with Jesus again. I believe if you get enthralled with him again, uh, your marriage could use it. Your family could use it. Your business could use it. Can I just say you can't 
afford to be unbelieving. A.W. Tozer said, every man will have to decide for himself whether or not he can afford the terrible luxury of unbelief. He can't afford it. His gospel should cause us to live scandalously, where people think the same way they thought about Jesus. He's out of his mind. See, I would rather have people tell me that I am out of my mind for Jesus than to have Jesus all figured out, but only with my mind. Here's the danger, too, that I think so many people face, is that they know Jesus intellectually, but they don't know him experientially. Let's not do that here, okay? Amen? Let's not do that here. In verse 6, after marveling at this unbelief, Jesus went among the villages and he taught. Now, I'm going to look at verses 17 through 13. Don't be afraid. I know it's 1050. We're not going to now cover a whole nother, you know, 10 verses here. But let me just read this scripture because I think it applies to where we're going. Look at verse 7. We're not going to be able to go too deep into this, and maybe we'll touch on it next week. But verse 7 says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now, here's what I want us to see. You know, it's one thing for us to have faith in a Jesus who can do mighty works. We hear about how Jesus cast out demons and we said, that is powerful. We hear about how he laid hands on sick people and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to heal those who were sick. And we said, that is amazing. We read about this powerful Jesus who went about proclaiming the kingdom of God and people were coming by the masses to him. But in Mark chapter 6, verse 7 through 13, which we just read, it says that he he gave authority to his apostles to do the same. He gave authority to his followers to do what he did. He charged them saying that they were not to worry about their daily provisions, just as he didn't have to worry, that he could trust God to do that. He told them that some people would accept them for the teaching and others would reject them, just as he was. See, we're called to do what Jesus did. What, I'm, what am I saying? Let's just cut to the chase. What I'm saying, that is, if we have considered the real Jesus, then we also have to consider the real you. One thing to look at Jesus and be astonished by him. It's another thing to consider yourself as a follower of Jesus and say, am I doing what Jesus sent his followers to do? And what did Jesus send his followers to do? Well, look, this is usually where the offense comes in. He sent his followers to proclaim that people should repent and that they should cast out demons and anoint with oil many who were sick. 
and they healed them. Those are the things that Jesus gave them authority to do. See, we have been called with the gospel to reach the nations. We've been called to reach the lost, telling people that they should repent and turn to Jesus. And if necessary, Jesus has also given us authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And if we're offended that this is what Jesus expects of his followers, then we should obviously check ourselves. See, the most common objection that people have is that Jesus here was sending his apostles to do these things. And we're not apostles, right? This was for the 12. Well, then why did Jesus send out 70 other disciples to do the same thing in Luke chapter 10? See, why would the book of Acts be written that shows that, yeah, mighty works were done through the apostles, but also by those who were not apostles? See, Jesus did give a special and unique role to the apostles to do these things, but this is the kind of power and authority that Jesus gives to all followers of Jesus. I see that in the word. I believe that as a Christian, I have been given authority in Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel, that people should repent, and I believe that I have been given authority to cast out demons, and I've been given authority to lay hands on sick people that God might heal them. And if this offends you, go read your Bible and ask yourself why you, want, want, why you wouldn't want to have that power and authority in your life. See, what is our work, Christians? What is the work of a Christian? It is to proclaim the gospel, that people should repent. Again, if necessary, pray for those who are sick or demonized, and we must do this in faith. Not in familiarity, not in what we've always known, but in faith every day, waking up and saying, Holy Spirit, use me and empower me to be your vessel so that I can reach people. John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then it says, and then he breathed the Holy Spirit into them. We can only do this by the Holy Spirit's power. And that's what they did. These ordinary people that were empowered by an extraordinary God went out and they saw results. They trusted Jesus to empower them and to give them authority. And they went and did that. They had the, the power and authority in the large gatherings in the synagogues. And they also had that power and authority in the small scatterings. As they went out two by two, as people lived their daily lives, they saw the kingdom of God breaking through upon the earth. And look, I could have taught through this scripture as something that just happened 2,000 years ago during the ministry of Jesus, but I preach a gospel that is living. I preach a Jesus that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I pray that today you would be reminded, brought out of any kind of familiarity, to realize that you've been given power and authority to go and make disciples. You've been commissioned, church, so that every single day you can see the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Every day you can go about by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, not tripping out on this stuff, not worried if people are offended at you. They, they are. If they were offended at our master, 
they're going to be offended at you. When you tell people they should repent, they're going to be offended. When, when you say that, that there are demons, people are going to be offended. When you, when you believe that on the laying on of hands, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, people can be healed, people are offended at that. But again, I'd rather stand with Jesus. I'd rather have people tell me I'm out of my mind than just to have Jesus figured out, but only with my mind. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this power and authority that you've given. And I thank you that today I am just the messenger and you are the giver. You are the one who breathes the Holy Spirit. Just as we sang earlier, Spirit, breathe your life in this place. Thank you, God, that you are slow to anger, that you are abounding in steadfast love, that we could come to you today and be commissioned with the gospel to reach the lost in your power and your authority. Lord, let us break away from any sort of familiarity or unbelief. Let us turn to you again today, knowing your mercies are new every day, Lord, and we can go in your power that you give to us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.